Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing former NFL All-Pro and Heisman Trophy winner Ricky Williams to talk about his new cannabis venture. It's called None Other Than Heisman. But before I get to Ricky, it's Election Day Eve, and this is a very, very important day. And I want to talk about what I'll be looking for tomorrow as a number of key races are on the ballot. It's also a big week in Washington, as we think we'll finally see votes on the two major pillars of President Biden's domestic agenda, the Investment in Infrastructure and Jobs Act and the Build Back Better Act. I know there's a lot of talk about Virginia and New Jersey's governor races as bellwethers for Democrats in 2022. And while I agree to some extent, the nuance is helpful here. I think Governor Murphy wins in New Jersey easily, and I think McAuliffe wins in a tight one. But even if he doesn't, I'd warn against Democratic overreaction here. Here's why. Democrats have to know that when Trump isn't on the ballot, our voters aren't as motivated. That's just our reality. And when you win as much as we've won in the last two cycles, you eventually lose ground in seats. That's just what happens when you're in the majority. No matter what happens in Virginia on Tuesday, it's imperative that Democrats in Washington stay the course and pass these bills because that's the right thing to do. And quite frankly, there's no point in fumbling the bag on your priorities when you're likely going to lose seats anyway. No point losing seats and getting nothing done. Abstract policy conversations on cable news often miss the point of how voters are perceiving what's happening. For most Americans, they vote based on who they like and don't like, and if the potholes on their street are filled or not, and what news they're seeing on television and in their feeds. That's why you cut the ribbons and why you stay in folks' face about what you're doing for them and making sure they know you're why they have what they have. Recall when Donald Trump signed the stimulus checks? Democrats need that kind of energy with the $3 trillion we're about to spend. Stop being cute and assuming people know that you're the reason why they're getting checks. So ignore the polls about the president's approval. Those things will change if money is in the streets and people know the money is coming because of what Democrats are doing. And even if we don't win Virginia, and I think we will, it's a lesson that there's only one way to energize otherwise disconnected Democratic voters. Money bomb their communities and make sure that it's known that it's you. There's no other way, Democrats. And that's that on that. Now on to our show with none other than my good brother and fellow marijuana entrepreneur, Ricky Williams. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, it's... Special because it's not often you get to interview somebody who uh, you grew up being a fan of. But today I get to interview none other than the infamous, famous, legendary, <laughs> all, all things, University of Texas superstar, just pure icon when it comes. And I would argue 
the best running back in the history of college football, Ricky Williams. What's going on, brother? Wow, thank you. Thank you. You know, my my favorite um my favorite title is uh, infamous. Infamous, okay. <laughs> I would go with probably more misunderstood than infamous, but you are you are a true legend, brother. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, we usually start each one of our episodes by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. But I think most folks know about your career in football, but they may not be as familiar with what you've been doing since you left the NFL in 2011. Talk about your various stops in coaching, yoga instructing, football commentary, and cannabis since leaving the NFL. Walk us through how you've navigated your life after football. Yeah, so uh, I guess I'll start with the decision to uh, to retire. So I retired in 2012 uh, after one year with uh, with the Baltimore Ravens and got to this point where I was 34 and we we just missed the Super Bowl by a missed field goal. And Baltimore was, you know, a new opportunity for me late in my career. And it was was really exciting. And so I was really excited about coming back at 35. And I got a text from Bill Parcells telling me, you know, don't chase this thing too long. You can contribute in other ways. And it, and it hit me like a brick because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't expect that from him. And it got me thinking. And I realized, you know what? There are other things that I can do. And then I realized there are a whole lot of other things that I'm interested in. Why not pursue those things? And so, you know, we we lost to the Patriots on Saturday. And on that Wednesday, I was in my first postseason class. You know, it was one of those things after I retired in 2004, every off season, I feel the off season taking classes, educating myself, you know, anything I was interested in. And so I just kept learning and learning. And as soon as I was done playing football, I just jumped into what else I can learn, what else I can learn. And one of the things about learning, acquiring information pretty soon, you need to do something with that information. So I trans, I translated into teaching, whether that was through coaching teaching yoga, uh, teaching astrology. Um, and that's really been my, really been my passion is healing and, and educating. And, you know, in my own life, I had to heal a lot from playing football and I'm just a curious person. So I've always been educating myself. Man, that's a dope trajectory. I hope a lot of people hear you because I've always said we always have to have this insatiable desire to learn as much as possible. When we stop learning, then we're actually dying. So you've, You've definitely, and you're not only learning, but you're educating others. Before we get into cannabis and professional sports, some of the things we're here to talk about today, I can't have Ricky Williams on this podcast and not ask how you feel about Texas joining the SEC. What's your take on that move? And how do you think Texas would have fared in the SEC when you were at Texas? It's funny. My whole time at Texas, I think we only played one, one game against the SEC team. And it was uh, it was my last game. It was in the Cotton Bowl against Mississippi State, and we beat them up pretty good. So <laughs> it's it's different. The SEC back then it was is not the SEC that it is that it is now. You know, you had the good teams, but there was only a few of them. Now I think across the board, the SEC is 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 tough. But but I was excited because I think right now the best football in, in the country is played in the SEC. And I think if Texas wants to consider themselves the best, they have to play against the best. And I, and I think it'll give us a boost in recruiting and it'll really allow us to go after players that, that want to play with the best. So I, I'm, I'm excited about it. How's Sark doing in your opinion? I think he's doing great. 
I think he's doing wonderful. You know, for me, especially the first year of a coach, I judge culture. If I see a culture change, then I, I then I know, okay, he's off to a good start. And when I watch the Texas guys play, the difference this year from the past couple of years is they're having fun, you know, and, and they're making plays, you know, finishing the game, you know, that that's that takes time. That takes time sometimes, but <laughs> they're flying around and, and they're fun to watch. So I'm I'm happy with what he's doing. Man, I'm going to that Red River shootout. I, I am a big sports fan. I've never been to one, but after watching this year and the last few have been just completely epic as you hear my dog going crazy in the background. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm going to one of those Red River shootouts. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just a warning. It's old school. I mean, there's no box. There's no boxes and it's Texas and it's usually October. So it's hot. So just, you know, it's just <laughs> just be ready. So before we get into your new business venture, Heisman, I wanted to zoom out a bit and first acknowledge the pioneering role that you played in elevating medical cannabis use, normalization, and legalization far before it was popular or legalized. Can you talk a little bit about how you were first introduced to cannabis and how you came to see cannabis as central to your recovery and wellness as an athlete? Um, so I was first introduced to it in, uh, in high school, but it didn't, it didn't really catch. You know, I, I was really focused on, on sports. And, uh, and it was, it was high school. And then I got to college and some of the guys on the team smoked. And so it was, it was around more. And so I, I used it a couple of times in college, but it wasn't until my senior year that it really stuck. And, uh, just was, had a rough game. I was having some rough stuff going on in my personal life. And my friend suggested that I smoke and, you know, I, I was like, okay. And, and I noticed something, I noticed that I wasn't obsessing about the game or about my girl and, and I could sleep. And so, you know, I became a kind of a fan. And so then I would use it occasionally just, you know, just to chill out sometimes. Uh, and then fast forward a couple of years, I was playing in new Orleans and things got really stressful. I was banged up and I just started smoking more. And again, at the, the, the conversation around it was just, that's just what the guys do after practice. And it was more like a recreational thing, but you know, I was receiving benefits and then I got traded to Miami and I had more free time and, you know, that's some good, some good flower down there. And so I was just, <laughs> after practice, I would just come and chill. And I just, you know, I remember just sitting on my balcony, smoking, at, looking at the ocean and just like envisioning, you know, leading the NFL and rushing, you know, is it, you know, the, like a new, a new town, a new situation, you know, and I was just in that groove and then the season started and that's when I felt my first drug test because in New Orleans, in New Orleans, we got drug tested once a year. All NFL teams get drug tested once a year, but in, in New Orleans, it was in the in training camp. I got traded to Miami and nobody, nobody told me I didn't get the, I didn't get the memo, but they get, they get tested in, all, in the off season. And so I came to work one day and the guy was like, all right, it's time for the piss test. And I was like, what? And so I ended up, <laughs> I ended up getting in the drug program. And once you get in the drug program, you get tested nine times a month. And then you have to go see a, a, a psychiatrist once a week. And so, you know, I was like, all right, I guess I'm pop. No big deal. You know, it's something I do to chill. So I'll, I'll be good. And so I started going to see the, the therapist talking to him. And I was like, you know, it was always nice to have someone to talk to. And I was on, I was on Paxil dealing with social anxiety. So I was like, I was like, I was down with that. But then after a while going through the season, you know, I started to be like, hmm, you know, what if I just smoked a little bit? I wonder what that would do. And so I would take it, you know, take a hit right after a test. Cause I knew I'd probably be clean to, to, for the next test. And I noticed that it was nice, you know, that I missed it. You know, it was part of my routine for how I, how I 
recovered after after work and then was able to go out and do it again. And it got to the point where I didn't want to play football without it because it, it just made it so much easier. And so I started finding ways to smoke and, and still pass the test. And then, you know, once once I got popped for real and, and I was going to get suspended, I said, OK, it's not worth it. There's other things that I want to do. And so I walked away from football and started to travel. And one of the questions that was on the back of my mind was there's something about this plant that, you know, I risked my whole I risked my whole you know livelihood for. And I got curious. And so I started studying the plant and, and learning all I could. And it, it's it. It's blown my mind what I found. And, you know, and it's been used medicinally for thousands of years. But even before that, and I think more importantly, it was used spiritually. Mm. And I mean, in, in layman's terms, you know, spiritual is just that you're good with your life, you know, that you're happy. That, that's the whole point of spirituality is that you can handle the things that come to you and you feel good about your life. Okay? And, and, not, and, and it helps you connect to some, some greater purpose. Okay? And it's been used like that for thousands of years. And I found, you know, through all my research and my personal experience, that's what I love about the plan. You know, it helps me connect to something greater. How did you pass those drug tests? Well, I mean, I'm a creative person. And so <laughs> I had to ask the follow up because that jumped out at me. You were like, I didn't get caught. I figured out how to play and smoke. Yeah. So part, part of it was timing, you know. Part of it was timing because when you're not around it and people just say drug tests, you know, you get drug tested randomly. Most people just say, I'm not messing with it. You know, I'm not messing with it, but I had to mess with it. So I did my research, you know, and so <laughs> little experimentation, you know, I, I found I could take three hits. Okay. I could take three hits and pass a, a test the next day. Okay. That was my like. That was my sweet spot. Okay. <laughs> took, took me a while to, to figure that out, but that was my sweet spot. The first half of my career, I just went to the head shop and they had this drink called extra, extra clear. Okay. And if you follow the instructions and, and drink it right, your, your piss is clear for five hours. And you can pass the test. And so um, and I start a website or a service, you know, people that are still being drug tested. I can- <laughs> you, you should. I mean, that, I mean, cause you got it down to the science and you got the, uh, and you have the the uh, supplement that helps you. Let me ask you a, a serious question about cannabis and the league that you loved. How much progress do you think the NFL substance abuse policy has made since you were in the league? And how much further does that policy need to go? And how much how much do you think professional sports league substance abuse policies will change once cannabis is legalized federally? Uh, well, it's changed a bunch since I was in the league. I mean, it, it was it was so. It was so draconian. Like the whole, when I was in the league, the whole point of the, of the system was to catch guys. That's what it, it turned into a cat and mouse chase who can get away with what, and that doesn't feel good. And, and I think the first thing they did that was great is they raised the, the cutoff of, of uh, THC metabolites from 0.15 nanograms per milliliter, which is crazy all the way up to, to 0.5. And if it was at 0.5 when I was playing, I would I wouldn't have failed the test. So that that's already you know positive, and I think just the the fact that they're changing their attitude about cannabis and they've decided they're not going to suspend any any players, that's a, a step in the right direction. But they need to like just take cannabis completely off of it, you know. And I think if someone has has ish substance abuse issues, you're not going to see it just in their urine. Look at their behavior, right? And it's not in scapegoating and blaming things on substances. I think. It, 
we need to get beyond that. You know, maybe we should look at the people using the substances. And so, you know, punishing people that just needs to stop. It's it's ridiculous. But we're getting there. We're getting there. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. How much of your career was taken away? I mean, I look at, look, you're one of the best running backs to ever touch the field. Josh Gordon could be, I mean, he has all the tools to be, and he can't stay on the field because of some, I mean, I think there are some other issues as well, but marijuana being the overwhelming issue. How has the image or the perception of the athlete in cannabis changed? And how much do you think that draconian policy has taken away from the career of Ricky Williams and somebody like Josh Gordon? Well, here's part of the issue. You know, if we're going to specify and say my football career, yes, it's probably taken a couple of years off my football career. But if we're going to say career and big career as far as my life, it's added tons of quality to my life. And I think sometimes we have to make those decisions. And I think the number one assumption is that if someone is a good athlete, that means that's what they're supposed to do. What, you know, well, but, but so in the, in the larger scheme of life, I think the whole point of what I was speaking of spirituality is not, is making sure that all of your life is good. And I think one of the biggest issues I had was football was great, but every other part of my life was, was crap. And for me, I was like, this is not working. I need to do something to start to change this. And so I, I think, you know, looking more holistically at, at who athletes are, where, you know, we're not chess pieces, you know, we're not video game pieces that are just go, supposed to go out there and run people over, that we're human beings that have a whole life to live. And I think when we start looking at professional athletes that way as, okay, they're professional athletes, but they're human beings also. And I think this is, this is part of it. I think part of the stigma around, at least for me around cannabis is when I got in the drug program, the way that the NFL doctors and the way that they looked at me and treated me was like, I was this, this chess piece that was in danger of, of getting, you know, getting in trouble and losing the game. So their job was to fix me, not looking at me as a human being who was a, a curious philosophical human being who's using cannabis to explore, to explore consciousness. Then we can have a conversation, Right. And to me, the, the big thing for me is let's look at athletes and that's including us ourselves as human beings. And so we can put our, our careers, our, the game that we love into some context that's healthy. That makes perfect sense. In a perfect world, how would you incorporate cannabis into the wellness and recovery reg, uh, regimen of professional athletes? Well, first of all, it's, it's a personal it's a personal choice. But I would, if you know, if I was a head coach and I had, you know, my, my players came to me and said, hey, you know, how should we use this? I'd have a personal conversation with each of them and see, like, what, like, where are you in your life? And, like, where do you need help and where do you need guidance? And then, it, then we, it's like a, a physician, right? You go to a physician and they say, you say, this is what's wrong with me or this is what I need help with. And then they know what to do. So it's a personal conversation of where would you like to expand? Where are you stuck in your life? And then we see, okay, now as you consume cannabis, let's start to think about those areas of your life where you're stuck and see what comes up. Man, that's, that's dope uh, to you, to no pun intended there. That's, that's, that's a very <laughs> amazing way to, to analyze and look at life. Let's talk about Heisman. What is Heisman? Heisman is a brand, you know, and, and it's, to me, it's, it's a real brand, you know? So, so many times, especially in the cannabis space, you see these brands and they're trying to, to build a story and they're trying to sell you something. Right. 
And for us, it's really a brand. And, and the beautiful thing is we don't have to really try to sell anything, right? It, to us, it's more of an invitation. It's an invitation to, to live a lifestyle where being high is not a negative thing, okay? Where it's a positive thing. When you can lift yourself up, when you can raise your vibration and see the whole picture and gain perspective, that's not something to be ashamed of. That's not something to be, to be negative, Okay. And so it's really about changing the conversation about how can cannabis and other mind altering substance contribute to, to us achieving our goal and being happier. <laughs> I'm all about being happy. I want more people to be happy for folks who aren't cannabis users like yourself and, and I. What is sativa? What is indica? And what is hybrid? And what makes your Heisman strands unique? Yeah. So, so. You know, it's it's language. That's the first thing they are is language, words that are used to try to describe something. And the way they've been they've been used is to describe generally the effects. Okay. And and the way to break it down is the convention that we're using at Heisman. Okay. So we're we're a cannabis and sports lifestyle brand. And so what we're calling, you know, one one uh group of cultivars or strains is we're calling it pregame. Okay, this is what people call sativa. And the idea is that the energy of a, of a typical sativa strain, it's more mental, okay? It's going to get your mind going, right? So this idea of, you know, you got something to do and you're kind of sluggish and you want to get up, right? This is, this is where sativa will help. But conversely, right? You know, you're anxious already and you're already up in your head, okay? Uh-uh, don't, 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 don't do the sativa, right? Because it'll, it'll push you more and you might get a little bit anxious, Okay. And then what people call indica, okay? The, the, the terminology they use is in the couch, right? And it's really more of a... <laughs> it, it has put me in the couch. I usually take it before I fly from, from California back home. And that, that, uh, they actually had to wake me up on a flight before. Yes. And, and to <laughs> me, the way I look at it, it's more about being in your body, you know, getting, getting in your body. You know, you, you sit in the couch and you can feel like the couch on your leg, you know, you can feel like you're in, you're in your body. So it's great for yoga. Okay. It's great for spending time in nature where you really, you know, it's great for before a massage. It's great for sleep. Okay. And then, you know, kind of the hybrid is kind of a cross where it's, it, you know, kind of in your body, kind of in your head. Okay. And again, these are generalized terms, but they're useful, right? They're useful in, in helping people understand, you know, what kind of, cultivars or strains are going to work for me at any given time. And I think this is where we're moving the more, more sophisticated cannabis use is really, it's a tool. Okay. Right. And, and there's some tools that are great for things and there's some tools that aren't. And as people start to educate themselves and understand what cannabis can do for them, then they can use it in, in more holistic and, and healthy ways. The brand is starting with pre-rolls and apparels, but do you envision expanding the edibles, infused products, and topicals? And where do you envision this brand going? Well, it, it's a it's a brand and it's a lifestyle brand. And so, so yes, I mean, you know, we want to stay focused. And you know, my main form of consumption is flour. So we're staying focused, but definitely we're gonna expand in cannabis products, but also where it's much bigger than that. You know, what I'm most excited about is our is our our consumption lounge idea. And oh, we're going to sports themed consumption lounges. You know, it's, it's the way I think it's the way it's the wave of the future, but th there's so many things we can do with this brand. And this is what's so exciting about it because for most of my life, pretty much all of my life, cannabis and sports have been something that's separated. You know, when you're growing up playing sports, your coaches tell you, if you smoke weed, we're going to run you off. Or if we catch you smoking, you know, you're a loser. Okay. This is, this was the language that athletes have, have been dealing with. 
And then when you watch television, you see your favorite athletes getting in trouble and getting suspended. So only negative connotations, right? We're, we're changing that. And so as people are starting to be more honest, okay, about their cannabis use and, it's, and they can come out in the open and be more real, okay, here's a brand that's for you, right? The ability to stop hiding who you are. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You're producing an end product in your pre-rolls, but you ultimately need dispensaries to help carry your product. Talk about how cannabis ends up on dispensary shelves and what states will Heisman be available in and when do you anticipate it being available? Yeah, so we're, we're launching in California this week. Uh, we're launching in Oregon next month, and then we're launching in Nevada in December. Okay, so those are our three, three states we have on deck for, for this um, year. And next year, we plan to add three to six more, depending on, on how it goes. You know, we're, we're trying to control our growth and our spread, but everyone wants to work with us. And so, we're, you know, we're, we're having to negotiate that. And our specific business model is we're not cultivators. We're not growing. You know, we are, we're a brand. And so for us, I feel what, what I'm, the value I'm offering to people that, that vibe with this brand is just, I've been in this game for a long time. And so as far as bringing quality product to the market, you know, the team that I built, we're able to do that. So we go in each state and we find cultivators, right? And this is the fun part, right? I get to, I get to test all the product. We find <laughs> We find cultivators that, that are, are growing really quality flower and that's up to our par and that we, that we resonate with, that we enjoy doing business with. And then from there, in that partnership, then we, we either distribute or we sell ourselves to dispensaries. And, that, and that's how it gets on the shelf is we partner with cultivators and then together we partner with distributors or different retail locations and um, we get our flower on the shelf. Man, you're gonna be getting a, you're gonna be getting an email from me. This is one of the best parts about this this gig I have because I am a partial owner of a few dispensaries called Hastoria with Raekwon the chef. We're in Oregon oh, yeah. right now, and we are, we are looking to build in New Jersey. And we grow about forty to fifty pounds through Citizen Grown, which is our sister company in Oklahoma, and we kind of have a vertical integration. But we want Heisman on our shelves, so we're gonna reach out to you and your team to see how we make that happen. And you can come test all of our product because that's the best part of this gig some days. Of course, of course. Uh, before we go, before I let you go, the last question I have for you is, well, I got one football question, but one more Heisman question. I got to talk about equity and representation in the cannabis industry. Can you talk about what it takes to get into this industry and policymakers, which are listening to this podcast, there are some, what should they be doing to ensure that more black entrepreneurs in particular are able to partake in this industry, given the cost that our community paid in the war on drugs? Yeah, this is a this is a big question. And and it's funny. So I was just uh, I was just in Vegas for MJ BizCon and meetings with you know everybody in the industry was in Vegas. And the question that came up in every single meeting is what are you guys doing for social equity? What are you guys doing for social equity? You know, and it's funny because you can tell. You can tell it's just like one of those questions that you just have to ask now because not many of them are talking to people that look like me. And I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing for social equity? I am social equity. What are you doing for me? No, um, but, 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 but seriously, it's, it's, it's a positive thing. But, you know, and my, my concern is, is that it's just a fad, you know, that it's just a fad. But, but right now as there's new legislation being built, it's so refreshing to see 
that is being built into the laws that that they're at least thinking about it. They're at least thinking about it. And and I think what can people do that that want to get in is research. Because right now there are there are so many social equity programs. If you have the courage and the determination to just look into it, there's opportunities. And I, the thing that I think no one is talking about is there's opportunities. And opportunity is like a door, but you have to have what it takes to walk through that door. And what I've found, you know, in my experience is I've had to educate myself on so many things that I, I know nothing about, you know? And, and I, I think what's beautiful about this, and this is my story, is this is the first time I've been motivated to actually learn about business, mm. you know? right? And so is, is really the biggest thing is educate yourself. That's the biggest thing you can do. And right now with the internet is, is you can do it. And so I would say just Google social, social equity programs in cannabis. Because you might have to move states, but if you do some research, you're going to find there's opportunities out there. It's just about people knowing about them and then, and then go, having the courage and the belief in themselves to go for it. One of my last two questions. How good is that running back from Texas y'all got down there this year? He's special. I mean, you know, he's, he's one of those athletes that is just once every 20 years. You know, there was Earl oh. years later. I came and, and, and Bajan's here now. So he, I'm excited to see, what, to see where, where the season ends up, but how his career ends up. Because he's good enough to win the Heisman Trophy. He just, he just has to have the team to, to be have good. Have some success. To, yeah. Some yeah. I mean, it takes a little luck and some wins and a lot of things in between. Uh, who wins the Super Bowl this year? Last question. Do you still Ooh. follow the NFL? I watch Monday morning highlights. <laughs> Fair enough. Who wins the Super Bowl? That's too early to tell right now. It's too early to tell. Ask me again in three weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. I, I, I just find it intriguing that the leaders in the AFC are the Cincinnati Bengals and the leaders in the NFC are the Arizona Cardinals. Who would have ever guessed that at the beginning of the season? And I promise neither of them is going to win the Super Bowl. That's that's what I that's what I could tell you. Oh, all right. I will take it. Uh, all right. Well, we we will we will meet in somebody's dispensary and <laughs> the I will take the Cardinals and the Bengals and you can have the field and the loser has to pay for the product. Bet. <laughs> all right. Bet. Thank you so much, Ricky Williams, for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. It was a pleasure, my brother. Be safe and be easy. Thank you. Before I let you go, there's some good news coming from COVID. Yes, there's good COVID news on the horizon for parents as it looks like the FDA will provide an emergency authorization for Pfizer for child-sized doses of the COVID vaccine for children between the ages of 5 to 11. I know it's a very sensitive topic for many parents, including those of us who are vaccinated. As part of the FDA's consideration, there was some data that I found interesting particularly for parents of children of color. And that's that COVID is now one of the top 10 causes of death among children between the ages of 5 to 11, with the disease disproportionately affecting Black, Latino, and Native American kids, especially hard. And while we know that severe cases of COVID amongst children are rare, they can still transmit the disease to grandparents, caregivers, and teachers, and other folks they come in contact with including those of us who are vaccinated. So there's clear value in getting a child vaccinated if you're like my family, where children and other adults are regularly in contact. And while I'm sure there are concerns about side effects, severe reactions to the vaccine based on the FDA's data are exceedingly rare. And 
The likelihood of your child having COVID, transmitting COVID, and having a severe case of it is still more likely than having a severe reaction to the COVID vaccine. So while every parent has to do this cost-benefit analysis, I hope you do so in a manner that's informed and that's in consultation with your child's pediatrician, not Facebook or group chats with people who aren't medical professionals. And that's that on that. When we get more information on the vaccine for children, definitely expect an episode from us because that's what's important. And that's important that we get it right. So until Thursday, I'll see you soon.